You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware. And Jess O'Reilly here, your friendly neighborhood sexologist. Welcome back. Thank you. Long uh, few days of travel that you had out in San Diego. That's right. And San Diego is such a nice city. Yeah, those sunsets in your pics were pretty stellar. And the surfing and the beautiful ocean. Yesterday, I parked my car in the morning. I was meeting my cousin on the way to the airport. And I could just smell nothing but salty air. That's nice. Yeah. We're back in Toronto where the smells are a little different than that. I smell something. It's not salty air. Yeah, there's something out there. Well, I want to talk about rejection. And I'm wondering, when was the last time you felt rejected, either socially or with an intimate partner? Well, that would be me. That would be you. Or at work, professionally. I feel rejection at work on a professional level probably weekly. Hmm. Um, micro, little micro bursts of rejection because I am in real estate and you're constantly putting yourself out there trying to have a conversation with people and whether they intend it or not, they're telling you that you know they're not interested or that they're working with somebody else. And my approach isn't very, uh, I'm certainly not forcing my services on anyone, but when somebody needs to politely tell you that they're not interested, I think that it, it gets to you on a subconscious level without realizing it. Uh, so I, I would to answer your question weekly. And you really put yourself out there because every Tuesday morning you get up super early and you've been doing this for years, and you head over to the King West neighborhood in Toronto, and you have this beautiful wooden custom-designed coffee cart, and you give out free coffee in the neighborhood. And you're not trying to sell real estate, and you're not trying to, you know, scoop people's listings. Ultimately, you're just trying to make connections, and it's part of giving back, and it's also partly marketing. But in a city like Toronto where eye contact is rare, even a good morning makes people uncomfortable you must you must face rejection and you do it this now you used to do it all by yourself before you had a company stand out there on your own and now you do it with a team of I guess there are 10 or 12 of you some mornings yeah and it's uh, we've been doing it for six years and you're right there's almost a dozen of us at times standing out there and you are you're putting yourself out there and I love Toronto but Torontonians like you said are nice people I wouldn't say that we are a friendly group of people um, making eye contact. People think that we're weird. I'm not trying to sell anyone anything. I'm just asking if they want, I'm saying good morning and I'm offering a cup of local coffee. And you're not saying, hey, if, if you have any real estate needs, call me. It's, it's literally just coffee. No, literally it's coffee and we have dog treats and I want to play with people's dogs if they're walking their dog. But You'd be surprised how many people avoid eye contact, avoid this side of the street that hmm. we're standing on, uh, that that probably genuinely feel bad telling me they're not interested when I'm not upset about it. But I will say good morning to people and they will not make eye contact, pretend to not hear me and walk right by, which is fine. Which also they're entitled to do. It's your job to manage your own rejection. And, you know, I feel rejected often because I talk to strangers so often. 
So the other day I was walking down the street and I said good afternoon to a woman and she didn't reply. And the way I read the situation was that she kind of looked up at me, her mouth was agape and kind of averted her gaze as though she was rolling her eyes. And I felt as though she was irritated with me. And this may not have been the case. This is on me, right? She might have just been shy. She could have felt threatened. Maybe, you know, she was like, what do you want from me? Or maybe she didn't know what to say, but I remember feeling irritated. And the only reason I felt irritated was because I felt rejected. And I, I, that's a hard feeling to name. And I also, I feel rejected often when I try and make conversation with people. So for example, I play sports, I play ultimate frisbee, and it can be a little bit cliquey. I'm lucky I play with some great people. But if I play on a new team or if I'm subbing for another team, some people like to chat on the sidelines and other people aren't interested. And I'm always the one trying to make conversations because I'm a chatty person. And I sometimes get one word answers and I take it personally, but that's not on them. That's on me. No one's required to talk to me. No, it's the same when somebody walks by me in the morning and I've simply said good morning, but they don't want to. Like I can't, it's not their job to make me feel better. Right. And it's not when I'm playing Frisbee and nobody, <laughs> I don't want to say nobody wants to talk to me because I, I play with a nice group, uh, not a nice group, but a friendly group. They're all nice just because they don't want to talk to me doesn't make them not nice, but it's not their responsibility to make sure I manage my own feelings. They may not want to talk because they're into the game. They may not in the, be in the mood. They may just not really like me. And I'm really sensitive about this. Sometimes when I'm in certain spaces, I'll tell you, I feel like I'm being rejected because of my race or because of my occupation. I think people judge me for what I do for a living. I've run into in the hetero community, which tends to be more monogamous, not more, not monogamous, more toxically monogamous and a little bit possessive. I've run into like women think that I'm talking to their partners. I, let me tell you, my interest in anybody else's partner is so low and my interest in men generally I'm not trying to take your partner and uh, you know I, again I have to deal with the way I manage rejection because I know there's nothing I can do about anyone else's behavior and when I find myself judging their behavior it's usually because I'm dealing with a vulnerable emotion like rejection and rather than focusing on myself and what I can do I might be focused on on their behavior and in a city like Toronto you know I grew up here and coming from a, you know, a culture that is, is very different, you know, my mother being from Jamaica, uh, you talk to everybody. In fact, it's rude to walk down the street without saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I, I grew up thinking everyone was snotty here. And in some points of my life, I think I had a chip on my shoulder because of this. And I, again, I think it goes back to an inability to recognize my own feelings and not, I, I was not owning my own feelings of rejection. So I was putting it on the culture. I was blaming other people. And, and that's because feelings of rejection are tough. They're psychologically and physiologically challenging. And, you know, evolutionary theorists will explain that because we come from hunter-gatherers, we needed the community to survive. When we felt rejected by the group, there was an automatic reaction of fearing for your life because you can't survive on your own. So it stems from a life or death situation. And what rejection is, in part, is a warning system for our own protection, right? I'm being rejected. I am at risk. I need to do something about it. So no, we never we no longer live in the wild. So we no longer need to allow rejection to scare us in the same life or death way. And in fact, we'd all be better off if we were to embrace rejection. 
Yeah, that's easier said than done. I mean, I think you have to be willing to accept the risks associated with putting yourself out there where if I say good morning to somebody and they don't reciprocate, I have to be okay with that. But then on the flip side, when somebody does smile or has a conversation with me or just takes, for instance, I'm talking about my Tuesday morning marketing efforts, it feels really good. Like it's nice when somebody engages with you. So Hmm. it's kind of balancing the, okay, this is the risk. I could be rejected. The reward though is a meaningful conversation or acknowledgement or sometimes just a smile. Um, like, Like you said, no one's is required to give me anything, but I'm willing to put it out there knowing that the return uh, w- to me is worth it. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm sure as you work with your team, there are people who are afraid to kind of put themselves out there, afraid to say hello. And what we don't acknowledge because we don't talk about it enough is it's a simple fear of rejection and rejection hurts. You know, I was reading that MRI studies show that the same areas of the brain become activated when we experience rejection as when we experience physical pain. And it's it's interesting that pain medications like acetaminophen can actually reduce this emotional pain. But emotional pain, like rejection, can feel more intense than physical pain because you can recall it. And because when you face emotional pain like the pain of rejection, you also tend to self-sabotage and be harder on yourself. So if you get a bruise... You don't ruminate about it and blame yourself, but we tend to be self-critical when faced with emotional rejection, right? We get down on ourselves. And I want to talk about rejection a little bit more with someone who I think is definitely more of an expert in the, in the area because I think we're getting rejection all wrong. I think we fear it too intensely and it is time to embrace it. You know, you and I often talk about the power of vulnerability and how much it can improve self-esteem and enhance relationships and just make life more fulfilling. And rejection is a part of this vulnerability. So rather than avoiding or dismissing rejection, I want us to embrace it and learn from it. Joining us today to discuss how to handle rejection, as well as the topic of emotional literacy more generally, is BK Chan. BK Chan is a sex an emotional literacy educator. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you up to these days? Um, These days I'm trying to apply what I keep telling people about to a new family. So I've got an 11-week-old newborn um, who is um, really showing me where my edges are, so to speak. Um, Aside from that, I'm still doing lots of speaking and uh, training. That's my primary... um, love in in the work that I do. And how do you even begin from 11 weeks old to impart these values around emotional literacy and teach what emotional literacy is to begin with? Um, Good question. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But one of the things, you know, I'm trying to keep in mind is um, how not to um, be so invested in my son being happy, for example. I, his happiness means a lot to me. And as, uh, you know, somebody who's losing sleep and trying to take care of a little being, I, I'm, I'm working really hard for that smile, you know, the, the smile and the, the little chuckle that comes. Um, sometimes doesn't feel like it comes like quickly enough. Um, but we got a, a, a book, a gift from, from somebody. Uh, I was 
I don't remember the title of it, but one of the pages at the end was like, um, I'm happy when you're happy. And I actually had to close that book and, and put it aside because that feels like one of those pressures that kids get um, when they know that their happiness not only is, is theirs, but it affects everyone around them. So that's sort of one of the, the ways that um, I'm trying to be mindful, but I'm also trying to be mindful not to make my son my like work project. Right. Although he's so readily <laughs> he's available. Just ready to be shaped. <laughs> yeah. Brennan's looking at me because your happiness being contingent upon my happiness is something that I think we struggle with in this in this in our relationship. Well, I look at you <laughs> turn over to me when BK mentions that my <laughs> happiness is like predicated on your happiness. And I think I if I had to be open and honest, I I, I have carried that into this relationship where I'll, I'll be I'll think to myself I want you to be happy but ultimately what I'm saying is I want you to be happy which will make me happy mm-hmm. which you know and it's this whole spiraling snowballing effect where the pressure is on one person to be happy so that everyone is happy yeah and that's a really hard thing to put on someone yeah and it's a hard thing for me to try and snap out of Oh, I can totally relate. So I don't even know sometimes how to start reframing my thought process so that the pressure isn't on, hey, Jess, are you happy? Because if you're not, what can I do to make you happy? And then it just is not fun for anyone. Not fun. I know. I'm often in the same boat, actually, (laughs) in my life. (laughs) Even the professional is is challenging well, this all the time. Yeah, I often say I do this work um, when I talk about sex and feelings. Those are two of my jams. Um, not because I'm good at them. And in fact, it's because I have to be a continued and conscious student of both those things. Uh, yeah, so feelings and uh, dealing with people <laughs> is a real, um, it's, it's a school I continue to go to. So, so where do we begin because so many of us, and I think oftentimes it's highly gendered, this expectation to be happy, mm-hmm. to not be frustrated, to mm-hmm. not be angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our relationship, maybe the gender roles are a little bit reversed because it, it would be definitely, I think, pressure on me to be okay. And if I'm not okay, Brandon is not okay. And sometimes I'm just not okay. Mm-hmm. But I maybe don't want to admit it because then I know it's going to throw Brandon off. And he's going to be scurrying to make me happy. Yeah. When in fact, some days you just can't make me happy. <laughs> I mean, I, some days I can't even make myself happy. Yeah. So we, how do we begin to break this cycle? I think um, that's already a part of it. The recognition, you know, what is possible, you know, in, in some circles, they would call it what's within my circle of influence, you know, uh, can I actually make somebody happy? Or could I just work myself into a frenzy trying? Um, And for me, when I do that, um, what encourages me to stop doing that is actually to remember that I become not present. Um, And so I uh, deprive my partner, for example, of me when I'm in a frenzy trying to make her happy. Um, so that's two things that help me. One is the recognition and two is to recognize the impact of this thing that I'm doing. And it's really hard to recognize the impact because I learned how to do that as a way of loving, as a way of caring, um, and, um, to reframe it as, 
when I do that in the name of caring, but then I deprive everyone around me who loves me and who I love of me and my feelings and how I'm doing and my presence. Um, that's, that's actually not the goal. I'm not doing the thing that I think I'm doing. Right. The so, outcome is the exact opposite of what yeah. you're trying to. So produce. those two things help. Um, another thing that helps is to try for me at least uh, to check in with me. Um, in my experience, when I'm in a panic about how somebody else is not happy, um, I'm usually actually tapped into a place in myself that says I'm not okay and I'm in trouble. That's sort of my script. I'm in trouble and that's from an earlier life. <laughs> um, and and for others, it's uh, I'm a bad person. For others, it's I'm a bad partner or um, you're going to leave me. Um, different scripts come up. It doesn't even matter actually what the scripts are. But to actually recognize that's what's happening and that's not in this moment. Those few things help me shift a little bit. It sounds like you're going to what, what in cognitive behavioral therapy we'd call the hot thought. Right. Right, this underlying thought that is sabotaging the way we think so we're not as rational as we could mm-hmm. be. I think other scripts are, I'm not worthy. Yeah. Right, I'm not good enough for you. Yeah. Uh, I need to fulfill your every need or you're going to leave. Yes. And I know that's something we've struggled with over the years. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I'm listening to you talk and I'm listening to you, BK, describe everything that you should be doing yeah. when your partner or whoever it is you're with is saying they're not happy and that impacts you. And in the, in the heat of the moment, it's hard for me, speaking mm-hmm. about my experience, to catch myself and like, okay, this is, this is what I'm thinking. This yeah. is what I need to do. I need to be present. I need to be... And sometimes there is something that you can do for your partner to make them feel better. Yeah. So, so you're kind of like, do I not... I, I don't want to make <laughs> blanket statements. Or, I'm not going to do anything because this isn't going to... But it, you're kind of thinking, okay, processing and doing all of that and breaking the pattern of my normal behavior yeah. seems overwhelming. Yes. But it doesn't have to be. I think that's just a knee-jerk response to not doing anything, uh-huh. right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking of so many different things. But ultimately, what really just resonated for me was the idea that this is a reflection maybe of a personal insecurity about how you feel. Because I do that with work. I've done that with my friends and family where... Yeah. You're not happy. Okay, what am I doing wrong? How yes. can I fix this? What do I go to immediately to fix the problem? Yes. Rather than taking a second, breathing, yeah. and then trying to move forward perhaps more effectively. Um, so there's a lot. I just feel like there's a lot I have to think about at mm-hmm. once. So again, just reframing, I think, is the bigger challenge. And I don't know that I really answered your question. No, but it, it makes sense to me. I mean, we were even talking about this last night, how it manifests in sometimes an inability to even say what you want. Mm-hmm. Because in a relationship, I think you can get lost and not even know what you want because you're trying to predict what your partner wants. And that becomes a pattern that repeats itself. And it, it's this comes down to people-pleasing behavior. Yes, And we definitely both struggle with people-pleasing uh, in work, yeah. socially, yeah. I- and in the relationship. Yeah. For me, the hardest part is socially. Mm-hmm. Saying yes to things. And then I find myself lying. 
mm-hmm. about why I can't make something or why I can't attend. And so this brings us to the topic of rejection. Mm-hmm. And we are raised, and I think we're conditioned and socialized, not to be honest when we reject people, mm-hmm. but to let them down easily. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was younger thinking about when someone asks you out, you always have a boyfriend. I always had a boyfriend. And, and the truth is I always did have a, have a partner. <laughs> and I remember when I broke up with my er, an early boyfriend being single for a little bit and someone asked me out and my automatic response was, oh, I have a boyfriend. Yes. And should we have to say, oh, I have a partner? Or can we say, you know, I'm not interested? Mm-hmm. And how do you balance you know, wanting to consider other people's feelings, but also wanting to own your own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you've hit the something on the something there. Um, those are all the, the hot issues for me. Uh, learning early on to say I can't versus I don't want to, mm-hmm. right? So it's not me who's preventing me from saying yes to you. Mm-hmm. It's something else. Um, that way, um, I don't, the onus is not on me. I'm not rejecting you. It's circumstance. It's mm-hmm. my boyfriend. He would mm-hmm. be really mad. Um, <laughs> um, and I think sometimes that's very gendered and other times it's also very cultural, right? To not say certain things outright. Um, and certainly we don't um, like socially uh, say no to things, um, let alone sexually. It's it's not um, it's not the most common thing to say, no, I don't want to come to your party because I don't really like your friends. But let's hang out one on one. You know, um, it's it's considered impolite to say that. So, uh, when it comes to romantic and, and sexual um, realms, it makes sense that it transfers over. Um, one of the things that really helps me is to remember that the other person has resilience. I think this is something I didn't learn early on. Um, I learned early on that I'm responsible for how other people feel, and the and that I have huge power over how somebody else feels which is connected to why I think if somebody's not happy I could even possibly change their world um and so if I'm entirely responsible and I am so powerful and that if you know I reject somebody I have uh I, I possibly have like shattered their world then it becomes really hard to reject someone um the question I often ask uh, people I'm working with is you know uh, would you rather go up to someone and say, no thanks, or would you rather punch them in the face? And punching somebody in the face is a much harder um, hurdle, shall we say, to mm-hmm. get over socially. And so if I think every time I reject you, I'm punching you in the face, I'm not going to do it. But if I think I'm going to just say, no, thank you, if I think that is what's involved in a task, if I think that is the impact of the task, I'm much more likely to do that task. Um, and so for me, it's about recalibrating what I think the impact is on the people that I'm rejecting. And rejecting, you know, um, romantic sexually and or, you know, coming to your party with all of your friends or going to uh, join a committee, anything, really. And so... Do you think we need more practice with rejection on both sides of the coin, saying no, but also being rejected? I think about in a sexual or romantic or intimate context, many straight women have no clue how to handle rejection because Mm -hmm. they've never been tasked with being an initiator. Yes. And we see this in hetero relationships all the time of course it's in all types of relationships that the onus of initiation falls on one person but even at a bar or at a party 
who is expected to do the approaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's gendered. It's probably related to power and age and other elements of our identity. So if we need practice managing rejection gracefully, Mm -hmm. how do we begin? Because I think most of us have been conditioned to avoid any opportunity that could possibly lead to rejection. Yes. Uh, A few things, I think. One of them is to have the mindset of, I need to practice. This is a life skill. Um, you know, and I, I do a lot of consent work. And the formula in my head goes, if every time I ask for consent, um, no is a possibility. And I quote unquote, cannot handle rejection. How will I even ask for consent? Right? So it's not possible. Um, therefore, it's a skill to be resilient in the face of uh, re- rejection in order to even have the other skills of like asking for consent and listening to somebody's reaction. Um, so one thing is to start using words that actually say what it is that we're experiencing. Like, I feel rejected. I feel insecure. I feel small. I feel sad. I'm really disappointed. I'm hurt by this. Um, I really wish it was different. I didn't expect that and so forth as opposed to, well, you know, she didn't deserve it. I, you know, I deserve much better. This is all for the better. Um, that school was stupid anyway. Um, the classic, um, attack back, right? Once, once somebody is rejected is yeah, well, you're ugly or like I was just joking anyway. So what happens in that moment is we're changing the story. I did not get rejected. In fact, you did me a favor because you suck and I'm great. (laughs) And, you know, no one actually believes that, but we tell each other and tell ourselves and tell our best friends, right? This is also one of the ways that we're supposed to be kind to somebody and say, no, 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 no. You know, the the divorce is not hard. Think of the life you'll have after this. Um, This has become how we handle, quote unquote, rejection is by avoiding it. And um, so I think by saying the words can help to say what it is exactly we're experiencing, say the hard words, and say that to our friends too, right? When we're supporting somebody going through a hard time because they have been rejected in one way or another, it's just to say, I, I love you. I'm so sorry you've been rejected. I accept you in these ways, you know, um, versus it's not your fault or... It's nope. not about you. It's not personal. Right. Rejection doesn't exist. Yeah. And it's so personal, actually. And it requires being vulnerable. Yeah. Which is a real challenge. And this is why we need to eradicate gender, because that's, especially in the context of men approaching women, not only are they tasked with that yeah. entire onus of responsibility of doing the asking, yeah. but they are disallowed from being vulnerable. Yeah. So we need more spaces where men can say, that really, that sucks. That doesn't feel good. It makes me feel, maybe I don't feel attractive. Maybe I don't feel good enough. But again, rather than being vulnerable, we go on the attack. Yeah. So shutting that down is a, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen on the individual level. No. Right? It really is cultural, sociocultural, that we need to have people of all genders, of all sexual orientations, being allowed to be weak, being allowed to be insecure. Yeah. And beyond gender identity and sexual orientation, people in all different positions. Because 
I think sometimes we think if you're powerful in one area, you must be all powerful. Mm -hmm. So I think about the pressure on someone who's a CEO of a company being even more, being even heavier. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, you talk about emotional intelligence or emotional literacy, and that's what this is. Mm -hmm. And maybe from the onset, I should have asked, how do you define emotional literacy? Uh, Great question. I'll get back to you. <laughs> I, I think of it um, uh, as a reflection of my own journey and experience with it. Um, you know, I think there are certain people who are amazing and intuitive with their emotions and, and they flow with it, you know, kind of like playing in the waves or something. And I'm always the person who's quite tense when the waves come and go and I'm just trying to be in control. And of course, you cannot be in control in the the ocean. You have to um, let the ocean decide what's <laughs> happening. So for me, literacy just says I can develop whatever skills I don't have. And the skills I do have were actually developed. So this is um, this is a growth mindset that we have um, when we use the word literacy. Um, and that there is something to understand, just like, you know, people who are learning how to feel their bodies, you know, athletes, uh, how to use their bodies, how to train their muscles, how to become more flexible and so forth. I think all those things are possible emotionally. Um, and it's not only for the talented and the, the geniuses of emotions, it's for the rest of us as well. Um, so to me, it's, it's, it's like building blocks of, of skills and, and knowledges and practices. I appreciate the differentiation between literacy and intelligence because mm-hmm. one sounds innate and the other, as you said, is something you develop. Mm-hmm. Where can we begin? Mm. Because some of us were raised with parents who encouraged us to express all our, our range of emotions and they mm. did the same thing. And others, it was a little bit more black and white. You were either fine yeah. or you were angry. Yeah. And being angry was not allowed. Yeah. Right? You're ashamed of your anger. I see that in sometimes in your interactions with some people in your family. They'll accuse you of being angry. Like, mm. well, now you're angry. Mm. Well, yeah, I'm angry. <laughs> Am I not allowed to be angry? And we see this in relationships with, you're just jealous. Yes. Yeah, I'm jealous. Because <laughs> I'm a human being. Yeah. I'm jealous. And people will say to me all the time, oh, you guys seem so secure with each other. Or people will say, oh, but you're not insecure. I'm like, of of course I'm insecure. Mm-hmm. I may not seem insecure in this moment, mm-hmm. but of course I experience mm-hmm. feelings of insecurity mm-hmm. and jealousy. Mm-hmm. And or they'll say you're oh you're always so happy. Yeah, you know, I only go on Insta stories when I'm happy. <laughs> right? I'm not Insta storying when I'm like, oh, I don't want to get dressed today right. and my eyebrows don't match right. and I just want to sit on my blue couch. Yeah. So where do we begin if we're not used to expressing this to ourselves? to our partners and then perhaps publicly? Mm-hmm. Um, a few places. I think um, theoretically, I uh, benefit a lot from changing uh, my language. So for example, not to name my feelings positive and negative. You know, there are feelings that I really like and feelings I don't like, feelings I'm good at and feelings I'm not good at. And it's not actually uh, the same for everyone, you know? Like, I'm actually quite good at being sad. Um, For a lot of people, sadness is really hard and it makes them panic. Um, And then they might actually have to add an extra boost of like, no, I am happy. Um, 
to their day. Um, and for others, you know, anger is a really uh, powerful one. Either you're, uh, you know, have a hard time being angry because it's been told to you as a useless emotion or it's barbaric or savage-like, out of control, or it becomes the only one that's allowed. Um, so when you're sad, um, as opposed to feeling weakly sad, you know, sad and, and weakness, um, that anger becomes a more powerful um, way of being sad. So renaming uh, my emotions not positive or negative, and then trying to actually put words to it. So as a very cerebral person, this really works for me. You know, getting those long lists of feelings, you know, 120 words, put it on my fridge. And so the next time um, I'm quote unquote upset, I actually can say, actually, I'm feeling lonely and I'm feeling um, bored. And what I'm needing is um, to feel like a part of a community versus sitting around and saying, I'm upset don't get close when actually, in fact, I'm really needing you to get close. Uh, so that happens uh, for me a lot. Um, so putting words. And then the other thing I find super helpful is just to actually go to therapy. And uh, I know therapy has either a, a, a great reputation or a terrible reputation, depending on the circles you travel in. But I find that, you know, when there's a person who's dedicated to witnessing and accompanying me in a hard thing, like feeling things I don't like to feel, it actually gives me the practice. It's really hard for me to just go out there onto the, into the world and, and try this emotional stuff um, that I'm not um, good at. Everything around every corner sends me back into the same pattern. So to break the pattern, I find therapeutic settings uh, individually or group settings really help. I'm just laughing to myself as you talk because I feel like you've hit the nail the, the, the nail on the head on so many different levels. At the same time, it's really difficult to, to think to yourself, I'm going to wake up today. It's a new day. I'm going to, I want to be more emotionally intelligent. And then you go out into the world and you try to practice that. And then somebody that you're engaging with doesn't reciprocate. And then that vulnerability um, really stabs it yeah. at you and then you kind of go back into your shell yeah. and don't know where to turn. So, yeah. and I'm also, I really value the, the vulnerability component. Yeah. I find I use it even in work. Yeah. And when you express just a, a bit of that human element where it's like, I'm not always perfect. Sometimes I screw up. Mm-hmm. Most people reciprocate with, I get it. It's okay. Yeah. But it's that willingness to kind of throw it out there and say, I'm human and I'm not saying I'm going to break down right here, right now and, you know, lay all my cards on the table, but it didn't work out. I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do. So knowing where to start, I love the idea of seeing a therapist because anybody can go and do that today. I I, I mean... Resources pending. Resources pending, yes. But that is... Uh, a step that I feel if you have the, the means you can do and then trying to find that circle must be a really big help as well because I'm just going through the ticker tape in my mind right now thinking who is my circle of people that I talk to on a level like that I only have a, a few people mm-hmm. that I do yeah and one of the challenges I think you being a man who's in a relationship with me a woman 
is that the onus often falls on women when you have these male-female relationships where the emotional labor and the emotional disclosure, it falls on one person. Yeah. And I mean, I'm pretty good at, because I work in this field, at not being your therapist. <laughs> and in the family, you know, sometimes people will talk to me or even with friends and I'm really clear that mm-hmm. I can't help you in that way. Yeah. Right? I wouldn't as a professional because we have this dual relationship. Right. And secondly, I, I just don't have the bandwidth yes to do it and it's interesting brandon part of what i think to bring it into the business context makes you such a good leader and a natural leader and i I think you've fallen into being a leader sort of by accident is that you you are quite open about a range of emotions there's something great about being real where you're not putting on a show all the time yeah And that's something that I've only learned or I'm still learning to do even right now. But just saying and just being myself on different platforms really changes things where I'm not putting on a show all the time. You'll notice that I haven't been on Instagram for a while. Like I'm not posting very much. To your point, I'm sad. Yeah. Like if I have... As I say those words, this flood of anxiety is coming over me Mm -hmm. right now. And it's because... I'm not able to express that emotion on a daily basis within the group of people that I'm with generally. Mm -hmm. So, but being able to say it really um, is, can be very liberating. I know for a lot of people, but just again, going back to being real and sometimes being real just means I'm not going to post or share with people for a while because I don't need to put on this facade mm-hmm. that everything is great yeah. 24-7. Yeah. And to give you a bit of context, you're sad because... Well, I'm, I'm sad because we lost our dog. And I know mm, even so sorry. saying that, I feel uh, difficult... Because <laughs> it was a few months ago, but like, I mean, I'm in tears right now just thinking of it. It's still really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to stop for a second. <laughs> okay. So we had to take a break there for a second because I got totally teary eyed thinking about sadness and life, but then also, you know, knowing that I need to move forward and also recognizing that I just. Honestly, I don't have the outlets outside of this relationship for the most part to really express how I feel. So then when I feel those feelings and think those thoughts, sometimes it's really difficult. Like it really floods in. So I can imagine how that is when you may not even have a partner or somebody else to express that to. It's like all of a sudden you're on the subway and you break down, right? So the value in having those outlets is probably incredible Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes um, this is why people also express themselves through art and music and writing um, that those things also help it's it is like he said what allows you to be authentic right and that um, uh, allows you to function at a a level that is not super high frequency where you're Uh, effortful at every moment and you're performing something and if you can be at least have one outlet where you can be authentic with yourself then it it's almost like a break um and we need those breaks 
Yeah, people think about going to a spa to take a, a yeah. break. And Brenda mentioned that the other day, that we just need a few days at a spa. I have no interest in a spa. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I like a massage, but I don't want anything else than that. I just want to be alone. I just mm. don't want to talk because I talk for a living. Yeah. And sometimes I talk all day long. Yeah. And I'm in the public. And, you know, like I like to joke around. I like to think I'm hilarious. And I like to be on stage. And... At the end of it all, I, I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. And that's something that I have to communicate in the relationship. And when I come home, that I, I don't want to talk. And Brandon gets it. But we, we have my father living in this house. Uh-huh. And it is a lot harder for him to understand. And again, right. he takes it personally. He says, well, it doesn't even seem you want to talk to me. And I, I, I said last week, no, I don't. I don't. And he, it, it upset him. Yeah. But I gave him some context. And at the same time, because I'm a young woman, I feel I need to make sure that he feels okay. Yeah. So is it really necessary for me to give context? Or can I not just have my own feelings and knees, which is that, you know, I I don't want to talk today. I just want to be alone today. Do I have to explain to you what my weekend entailed Mm. in order for me to have that space? And obviously that's, that's rhetoric. I know that I should not have to, but I still feel pressure because I was raised to prioritize other people's feelings above my own. I was raised, in fact, to, in in some cases, prioritize other people's comfort above my own safety. And I'm not talking specifically about how my parents raised me. I'm talking about the cultural influences around me. And so letting go, I think, is a big part of it. Letting go of some of those pressures that other people put on you, but you continue to put on yourself. And mm-hmm. then the second piece, and it sounds like you're saying, is to give yourself permission. Mm-hmm. Permission to feel sad, permission to feel lonely, not feeling like a failure because because of positivity culture. Yes. Right? I should always be happy. I should never be lonely. Yeah. And I think in relationships, people feel like they're failing if they're lonely. But I think we do feel lonely at times. Yeah, I, I certainly do at times. Especially um, now. Yeah, I mean, more so now. I mean, Jess travels a significant amount, and mm-hmm. I do find myself on my own. We used to have a dog, and I enjoyed even just the quiet comfort of her presence. Mm-hmm. And now I don't have that. So, um, you know, learning to be okay with that mm-hmm. and learning to be on my own and just kind of mellow out in my thoughts is a new a, a new place to be yeah. and also recognizing the feelings that come with that yeah. right it's just it's new and i and all of these things I, I mean goes back i think about rejection and i think about you know have a thick skin and you're right, right. people do you immediately go to that oh it, you're better than them or they're a jerk or they're they're ugly like yeah. you said and we yeah. dig in at the other person as opposed to just saying circumstance may not be that it was a fit yeah. or, um, you, you know, it could be a myriad of other reasons, yeah. but you want to dig in and find a reason for the, uh, the rejection. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's hard because I don't have a, you, like a practice, re- practice getting rejected. It's hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> How do we do that? How do you practice being rejection, rejected? And managing that rejection gracefully. Um, I, I think it can, uh, it can be useful to put yourself out there in all kinds of ways. You know, I used to feel quite um, 
nervous, even, you know, ask for extra sauce or something at a restaurant, <laughs> you know, and because I would imagine that it would, you know, put somebody out and like, they're already working so hard. Who am I to be like, can you walk back and forth one more time for me to have some extra sauce? Like I'm such a princess. Um, and so to actually, again, to believe this person is resilient and I, this is something I can ask for and to do it, right? So doing the thing is uncomfortable. I think that's the thing that sometimes we forget, that giving ourselves permission to feel lonely or asking for extra sauce are all uncomfortable things. Um, and so as I'm doing it, if I feel uncomfortable, if I feel kind of itchy and uncomfortable in my skin, if I feel like, oh, I just don't want to do this anymore, great, then that actually shows me I'm on the right path versus this is supposed to feel like a spa day. Um, so practicing putting myself out there, everything from asking for extra sauce to telling somebody who I don't want, you know, to be intimate with, but who I appreciate, I think you're amazing. I think you're fantastic in these ways. Um, so saying the positive things, um, that are not connected to an outcome that I'm invested in can already be sort of like a level one, um, uh, practice. Uh, because you, you still don't know what somebody's reaction will be. But that one's probably going to be a good one. And then start asking for things that are small and are likely to um, be rejected. Like, would you like to um, give me 50 bucks? Um, no, I'm, I, I can't right now. So that's fine. Uh, asking for little things that uh, you're just normalizing the experience of that initial embarrassment, that initial hot in the face feeling, that initial like, oh, I want to find a hole and crawl into it. And eventually actually going up to somebody and saying, I just want you to know um, you were the, the best uh, stall in this flea market. You know, I so appreciate your curation. That will not bring a hot flash to the face. Uh, eventually, you know, I would love to be sexual with you if and when you're ready, if and when you're interested, you know, talk to me more about sex. That will not bring that heat to the face, that feeling of embarrassment. So I, I do think that normalization happens. Yeah, it sounds a little bit, if we go back to cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, like an exposure hierarchy, Yeah. right? So if you have an anxiety, for example, we'll create a hierarchy of stimuli that might create anxiety and you slowly expose yourself little by little to different things. So if you're afraid of snakes, first you're just thinking of a snake, then you're looking at a snake in a book, yeah. then you're looking at a, a dead snake behind glass at a museum, and then maybe you look at a live snake at a zoo still yeah. behind glass and working your way up until you can perhaps hold a snake if that's your goal. Yeah. So it sounds like you're putting yourself in these scenarios where things could happen, they could go awry, but it's not going to be as catastrophic yes. as you think it will. You you will move on. Now, th those are small rejections. And then in life, of course, we face the really big rejections, yeah. like a partner leaving you yes. or losing your job yeah. or you know a family member yeah. no longer wanting to speak with you. Yeah. How do we navigate the bigger ones? Um, I think with support, you know, Sometimes, uh, like you were saying earlier, um, certain feelings get uh, pushed aside. Like, oh, you're just jealous. 
you know, uh, when I work in high schools, often the, the thing that is the, the swipe away is, oh, he's just insecure. It's so interesting that when somebody's insecure, they're just insecure, and then that's the end of the story. But insecurity and, and being in emotional pain, for example, really signals that we need some care, some attention, uh, uh, not, you know, to be set aside. And so uh, to be supported through those things. There, there's no easy way to go through them. They, they hurt and they change our lives and they upend everything, you know, a loss of a beloved family member. Like it's supposed to upend your life um, if you're present in your life. So getting support, being able to tell stories about it um, and so forth are how we integrate this, um, this horrible amount of pain Right, and, and go through it, um, which leads to another huge emotional literacy, uh, literacy skill that I'm also working on, which is to receive. You know, there's often support lent to us or offered to us, and I find it so hard to say, yes, do come over, sit with me, because then I just feel like a doofus. You know, I don't need it. Other people need it more, or I'm the one who supports. So these are all part of the same scripts. You know, I people please partly so that I'm needed um, and I'm not needy. Um, so when the support comes to actually say yes. Um, so I guess my practice is very much based on doing the thing that is slightly uncomfortable, but not so uncomfortable that I'm panicked, but just slightly uncomfortable and saying yes when the support comes or when it's not coming to say, hey, I actually really need um, to sit and uh, hang out and tell you stories about X or Y. The, the word needy is really interesting to me because I think we need to destigmatize yeah. these universal emotions. I hear people say, oh, they're really needy or they just want attention. Everybody yeah. needs yeah. and wants attention. Some yeah. people maybe are more open about it, but being needy makes you a good friend yes and hopefully you have the flip side too which is when you know somebody else needs something yeah you're there for them as well now you've written a book called monster mm. i have it here in front of me it's so beautiful can you tell us a little bit about it you have a number of, of products to support people through emotional literacy uh this is just a fun little book um it's a rhyming um book and I wrote it uh, as a way of trying to describe rejection actually what it feels like um, and the story basically is that this monster is trying to get into my house and I refuse to let it into my house um, and it gets bigger and louder and bigger and louder and it's actually uh, way bigger than it actually is and it concludes uh, with me changing how I behave towards the monster it's it's about relating to the monster. And so when I wrote it, I was thinking about it as the monster being rejection. Um, but uh, since it's been in the world, people have been saying, oh, this really relates to this part of my life that I couldn't look at or couldn't admit to or couldn't relate to. And changing a relationship to that piece actually allowed me to live in my house um, in peace or allowed me to go outside again, uh, all metaphorically or literally. 
So that's, that's a fun little book and it has, um, illustrations that are all, um, open domain from artists all over that have put their art up for everyone to use. It's really gorgeous. And you, you also have an online course Mm -hmm. on emotional literacy that I'm absolutely going to be signing up for. Where can people find your book and your course? Um, they can go to my website, which is fluidexchange.org, O-R-G. And um, there's a little a sample of the course there. I tell a lot of stories in it. Um, and we work through skill after skill. And it's meant to you know, be about 10 minutes a day for over six weeks. And uh, you can do it at your pace. And there are little practices. And when folks take it together, they can also actually be part of a community where they can swap stories and skills and tips and things like that. So uh, it's all through the website. Excellent. If there's something that listeners can do today to work on their emotional literacy, what do you recommend? I recommend um, thinking of slightly uncomfortable things that are emotionally interesting, you know, um, and doing doing it slightly uncomfortable. So it might be um, putting a hand on the shoulder of somebody who's having a hard time, you know, a teenager in your life. Maybe teens don't want to be touched on the shoulder. They often don't (laughs) want to be touched at all. Um, But slightly uncomfortable just to say, I'm sorry um, that I was so mean to you last week. Or, hey, man, I really appreciate you. And continue with your tennis game, whatever it might be. <laughs> just slightly uncomfortable, just to see what it lo- it's like, and just to also see that uh, it doesn't kill you. And it's not a punch in the face. It's not a punch in the face. That that's really interesting to me. To me, I I want to commit to saying no to some things and saying no to people, because I don't. I, I travel so much that I can pretty much say no to everything because I'm never in town. Right. But then when I land here. And someone asks me to do something or go someplace. I'm like, uh, 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 I'm yeah. away. <laughs> it, it was sort of like being used to saying I had a partner. Yeah. Right. That was my out instead of saying no, thanks. Yeah. Right. Or not a good time or not interested or not my jam. Or, yeah. And so that's what I'm going to commit to doing one thing this week. Babe, do you have anything? <laughs> I just love the idea of baby steps in these small uncomfortable situations because it's easy to go how am I going to start but then you can go to a coffee shop and ask for something small and really yeah Jess is laughing because I feel like that's something she would never do oh like if I were to put you out it would be the end of the world if I order a steak and you bring me soup I just eat it in misery yeah but I also you know using that tactic but also thinking about what what Jess you've said we discuss all the time, which is if it doesn't work out for you, is this affecting your life? Like, is this affecting the things that are most important to you? For me, it's my health, yeah. right? It's, it's, my, it's where I live. Do I have a roof over my head? Because if somebody ultimately rejects me yeah. and they don't want to get me that extra shot of espresso in the, that I bought, yeah. is it going to affect my health? Generally, no. Yeah. Is it going to affect my, my living? No. So overall from my perspective, my life is still okay. Right. I try and think of those three things. My security, meaning a house over my head, and Mm -hmm. I'm very lucky that that's not something I have to worry about. Mm -hmm. My health, and then the people I love. Mm -hmm. So when something is upsetting, when the bus driver is rude to you, Mm -hmm. when, you know, you order a half-calf and they roll (laughs) roll their eyes at you, 
you experience rejection, that's social rejection, and you can feel it in your body. And so you have to remind yourself, does this affect what matters to me? And for me, that's the people, the social circle and loving circle I have, the security of, you know, not being out on the street because I'm very lucky in that respect. And then health. And no, it doesn't. (laughs) Unless I let it. So I really, really appreciate this conversation. Uh, So many thoughtful insights and I have so many more questions. But I'm going to begin with your course at fluidexchange.org. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for talking with me. This has been so enjoyable. Thank you. Rejection is a, a life skill. There are so many pearls of wisdom to pull from BK's insights. And even though I've only met BK a couple of times, well, maybe a handful of times, she's really one of my favorite people I've ever had the privilege of speaking to and spending time with. And if I have to pull one action item out of BK's many insights, it's the feelings on the fridge suggestion. If you find yourself stuck on specific emotions, oftentimes those emotions are anger, frustration, and resentment, for example, can you find a list of wider emotions to try and identify the true emotional source. So just a reminder, this is, you can go online and print out a page of, you know, a hundred different feeling words, or you can do this online or on an app. So if you're feeling angry, are you really angry or are you feeling powerless? So you can have those words to help identify like, yeah, you know what? I feel mad, but what I'm really feeling is like I have no control. If you're feeling or expressing frustration, are you really frustrated or maybe you're feeling something different? Maybe you're feeling neglected or lonely. And again, sometimes just having these words, these emotion feeling words in front of you can remind you to dig a little deeper. If you find yourself kind of harboring resentment, are there other important emotions worth addressing like sadness or guilt or shame? Because a lot of us will say, you know, I'm really pissed. But we don't often say, I'm feeling really sad, or I'm feeling really depleted, or I'm feeling some shame. And sometimes just seeing these emotions in writing on your fridge or on your phone can help you to get to the source of the problem. The more authentic, often scarier, and more vulnerable emotions that underlie the more aggressive ones. And, you know, I I took a quick look online. There's a site liveboldandbloom.com that has a long list of emotions but honestly you can just google a list and you'll find many good options bk's interview with us in this podcast was intense for me um i really enjoyed it and i say intense in a good way because it really forced me to think about how i felt And when I took that moment to really think about it and talking about being who you really are and and authentic, I know that word is thrown around a lot, but when you allow yourself to feel that way, it's very powerful and kind of overwhelming at times and reminded me that having the outlets to be able to share how you feel can really help uh, improve, improve how you feel, right? Like if you don't have an outlet to be able to have that conversation to express what you're going through, it's going to be really, really difficult to get over it. And that could be therapy or it could be a friend. It could be whoever 
you have, but it's important to have it. Yeah. And it begins with you first. Well, you have to be that one to, to make that move. Right. And, and to be willing to acknowledge these really uncomfortable feelings. And talking about rejection, I think people probably assume it's just sexual rejection. But if we don't talk about it in the greater context, in the broader ways in which it's experienced than sexual rejection because sex is such a high intensity experience for most people can be even more painful and we have even more difficulty navigating it and you know as we spoke bk there's something about bk where he's you know bk is so present and thoughtful and curious so in addition to learning from her insights around rejection and emotional literacy i also want to learn from her modeled behavior here because there's a curiosity that I also want to embrace. She approaches every question, every conversation, every interaction with such curiosity. And yeah, I'd like to be a bit more curious because in my role, folks turn to me for the answers, you know, especially when I'm being interviewed. And so TV trains you to give as much sound bite friendly information as possible in the shortest amount of time, which can work for a five-minute television segment. But I think I have allowed this approach to seep into other non-television parts of my life. So I think I need that reminder to slow down and just be a little bit more curious. And um, and yeah, I thought that BK has this balance of really having engaging and expert insights, but also making you feel like She's here learning with you. And uh, yeah, I'd love to be more like that. I, I thought that they were, they paused. You could tell that there was a moment of reflection before BK responded. So I knew that her answer had been thought through. Whereas my default is to just blurt out whatever <laughs> comes first. Me too. And I found that really um I noticed it and I appreciated it because when I said something, I knew that it had been thought through even for a split second uh, to make sure that whatever she she was conveying was was carefully crafted. And authentic. Yes. Yeah, the, the uh, authenticity really shines through. So here's to, to uh, using some of BK's insights, but in my case, perhaps being a little bit more like BK. And I'm looking forward to taking BK's course. Right. That online course. I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, I absolutely agree on emotional literacy. Well, thank you, babe, for chatting. No, oh, thank you. That was fantastic. Thank you for listening. We are back every Friday morning with a new episode. We are going on holiday next week. Can't wait. Right, but we're still going to bring you some sort of a podcast. Still going to be here. It might just be me sitting over pasta and wine in Florence <laughs> talking nonsense. Yeah, let's interview somebody at a cafe. Right? Yeah, done. <laughs> thank you so much thank you to desire resorts for your ongoing support of this podcast wherever you're at have a wonderful week you're listening to the sex with dr jess podcast improve your sex life improve your life